Welcome to the Spiritual Geek Out Podcast. I'm your host, Diane Hudock, where we have fun talking about the phenomenal and the fascinating. From angels to energy healing, from mystical places to mystical teachings, this is a place where we nerd out on the science of the soul. My guest today is Patricia Corey, who is an internationally acclaimed author. She is a pioneer in the alternative thought community and one of the most established authorities on the realms of the mystic, whose views of the world challenge the status quo and confront the issues that concern us all today. She is the former host of the popular radio show, Beyond the Matrix, has been a guest on countless TV programs and her latest work, the new Syrian revelations, galactic prophecies for the awakening human collective, takes readers on a transmission of visions for the human race, and the Syrian High Council affirms we are indeed ascending through the outer reaches of the fourth dimensional reality into new levels of conscious awareness and parallel realities as we prepare for our imminent emergence. She's here to talk about that and so much more. Patricia, thank you so much for being here on the podcast today. It's been an honor. Thank you. I just want to jump off and start with the fact that over two decades ago, I believe, you started working with this group of beings that some may be familiar with called the Syrian High Council. So I'd love to unpack that. Um, so we have a greater context of who, who these beings are. What was your experience when this happened? And, and really, who are they? Well, as a child, I already had contact from what I understood later to be these beings. Because at, at a very young age, I started having uh, interaction with these uh, Tinkerbell-type characters, which, of course, we dismissed as a child's fantasy for a while, but they were uh, blue. I call them the little blues and they used to come and talk to me and they used to talk to me about extremely galactic things and uh, quantum physics and things that children weren't talking about. People weren't talking about, certainly. I'm talking about the fifties. And so um, at a very early age, at four years old, I told my mother I was from another universe and that she would understand it better. She wasn't prepared to hear it right now, but eventually we'd have to talk about it. And I walked out of the kitchen, leaving my mother gobsmacked and uh, went on to a childhood and uh, adolescence of having constant contact with otherworldly beings. But it was uh, in 1996, 96 or 97, I've lost track, 97, when I went to and I was running a New Age Center in Rome, the first New Age Center ever there, Rome, Italy. Uh, I was called to go to a workshop. It was actually a college in England. And it was chromotherapy taught by a, a real master. So it was a two-week course on chromotherapy. And when I was there, I dreamt that I was flying over Stonehenge and I saw this huge spiral in the field next to it, which was four or five times bigger than Stonehenge. And uh, in the dream, a voice said, pay attention. This is an interdimensional lock-on point 
for galactic intelligence and it's going to be very important you need to pay attention pay attention starseed okay so i woke up and i did pay attention and then that weekend we went on a field trip to glastonbury which many know is kind of like the avalon the right. remains of avalon as far as energy and and uh, mysticism and there on a wall in a bookstore was the identical identical image of what I'd seen in the dream. But until that moment, I had never understood what crop circles were. I thought crop circles were burn marks in the grass as reported by certain Russian phenomenalists and ufologists. So I, I, I didn't really have a, a grasp of what intricacy they really were. And as I was staring at this image of this swirl spiral in Fibonacci sequence that had 151 circles all in the ratio of 1.618 to each other, which is the Fibonacci sequence. Um, it was so monumentally huge, I was flabbergasted. And when I asked the bookstore what it was, she said, it's the latest crop circle. I said, explain crop circle. I, 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 I. <laughs> so when I told her my story, she said, oh, so you're another one who's been called. Hmm. And it turned out that in that particular crop circle, which I believe was the harbinger of a whole new level of consciousness in the fields. Um, there were Tibetan elders, there were um, Native Americans, all kinds of uh, very important and powerful shamans were drawn into that experience. And so she felt that I'd been called and so did the professor at the university when he, uh, sorry, at this college, when we told him what happened, he said, Patricia, you know, you're not really here for this course. You're here to get into that crop circle and I'm going to take you. It was a three hour drive away from where we were. So when I got into that crop circle, I was, of all the mystical experiences I've had in my life, it was probably the most mind blowing. It was as if someone was pulling me by the collar. I felt a hand on me pulling me forward and I, I could barely get in in time. And I, I asked him to let me be alone because he was a chatterbox. And that's not how I do mystical moments. And uh, I got in and I fell down in one of the circles and I started spinning. And in that spinning experience, I felt nauseous. I felt like I was going to really get sick. And I started to hear sound really shrill, like an infinite pitch. And then I looked down and I saw my legs disappear. And I went out. I mean, I really consciously saw my feet, legs disappear. This sound so shrill that it, it's not even, I couldn't even repeat the sound if I tried. And uh, I was out. And when I came back, it was darker out. The weather had changed. And he was standing over me, looking at me. And I said, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I, I think I, I went out for a few minutes. And he said, Patricia, you've been out for two and a half hours. Oh Are you okay? I was like, yeah, <laughs> but it was in that two and a half hour journey that I was taken to definitely other realms. I remember it just being such a galactic, incredible journey. And I got attuned. And after when I got back home, uh, two days later, it was so hard to get back in my body and, and confront flying and the whole bit. I started channeling these beings 
And I want to also preface by saying, in all my years of psychic ability and talents and work and healing, I have never wanted to work as a medium. But there I was channeling these, this information. It just kept pouring out of me. Mm. And they identified themselves as beings from the sixth dimension, a collective of conscious beings that are n- not in body and that have been involved with the seeding of Homo sapiens on planet Earth. And for this reason and others, they are very concerned with our evolutionary process and assisting us through the ascension process, which they have already been through. Wow. That's, that's a mouthful. Yeah. You talk about, and by the way, um, anyone listening, your Divine Blueprint program is a wonderful entry point. And even for people like myself who've been doing frequency work for a long time, it's a great um, uh, reboot and reaffirmation and remembering. um, And I wouldn't even say going back to the basics because there's so many factoids in the program that you drop in, which we'll, we'll touch upon a few here. But um, the Divine Blueprint is a great program for anyone that's interested in, in this work and uh, some of the things you're talking about today. So thank you for that. And um, in the program, you mention how the Syrian High Council says that we were originally 12-stranded beings and we kind of got cut down, if you will, to two-stranded beings. And my question is, why, why did we get sort of shredded down to that? Who was responsible for that? What is that about? Is it just simply they didn't want us to be the, the uh, non-benevolent beings didn't want us to be powerful? What exactly yes. was the fall? The fall is that the, uh, again, this is another mouthful as far as questions okay. go. There was intervention in the, uh, when the Syrians and other highly evolved species and other dimensional species determined that Earth was in fact the absolutely perfect Garden of Eden to nest a, a, new, a new species of highly evolved Christed beings, 12-stranded DNA beings who would serve as guardians of the physical universe. I mean, we really had a mission here. A, a, a population, a species of 12-stranded Homo sapiens that would be um, bringing, anchoring light in this realm of the universe and the galaxy, and also being part of the, uh, let's say, the, the committee of guardians over the whole universe of light. And that didn't sit well with a lot of beings that didn't want light anchored anywhere near Earth or anywhere else. Because let's remember that Earth is one of the richest mineral, minerally, if there is such a word, rich planets in this galaxy. I mean, it has everything that any warring civilization could want, just as every uh, loving, peaceful civilization could want. We have every kind of, of lithium, you name it. Uh, and as of course we know, they were, they were able to create the ato- atomic fusion as well. So um, there were a lot of forces that didn't want a highly evolved species taking the planet to its highest vibrational frequency and living in harmony and spreading that light in the universe. 
And so the interference was the creation of electromagnetic frequencies that would disrupt the 12 stranded. Uh, let's say the genetically, I have to say the genetically constructed 12 stranded being, because we, we're talking about uh, ET and extra dimensional beings that uh, designed Homo sapiens. And that, that's something that makes people a little uncomfortable, but that's what they say. There was a, there was a huge evolutionary process involved and many species were involved in doing this. Um, so it was interrupted and the way they interrupted it was to disrupt it. And that electromagnetic disruption, which of now, of course, today is at its peak, unplugged 10 strands and left us in survival mode. And I always tell people, considering that we were taken down to two strands, we still are incredible people, incredible beings, capable of incredible things. Imagine if we had all our DNA plugged in. Right. So I'd just like to say one other thing before I uh, give you the floor, and that is, um, so the question remains, what is junk DNA? How have we let the so-called scientists get away with telling us that Every, we're full of junk DNA and they don't really know what it does, but it's there. Right. And that 90% of our brains are gray. They don't really know what it does, but it's there. And the Syrians say the 90% of the brain that they call gray matter and the 90% of your DNA they call junk are perfectly created together, to, united. They uh, illuminate, activated they illuminate the Christ conscious within us all. And that's what we're attempting to do here by reactivating the DNA, sending conscious energy thoughts, light into the genetic memory to stimulate and reactivate and call back into its proper functioning the so-called junk in the DNA. Right, because I say we only use 10% of our brain, but we how do we really... No, that that is even a true statement. Maybe they have somewhere on this planet, um, they've done experiments or they've discovered technologies that can awaken other parts of the brain or they have found or worked with humans that use more than 10% of their brain. Like who put that out there that we use only 10% of our brain? And I'm not saying that it's not scientific, but I'm also saying I don't, uh, I do question what's put out there according to science sometimes for good reason. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the scientists get away with murder because you don't get to tell me it's absolutely scientific when right. you're saying it's gray and it's junk and you have no other explanation. It's like, well, hold on a minute. That doesn't work for me as far as science goes. Science is supposed to find the explanation before it declares sovereignty over a concept or a construct, right? That's right. So you get to say there's a missing link and you get to say that there's junk DNA and, and the brain is gray and this is science? I don't think so. Right. But we only have to look at somebody on an LSD trip to recognize that um, there's plenty of activity in the rest of the brain. It's just how do we tap into it? Not that I'm suggesting that people use uh, hallucinogenics to get there, but that once they do, they experience all kinds of other uh, functionalities of the mind and the brain. Right. Well, this brings me to a, a, a 
bunch of different directions, but just as we're staying with the strands, um, I wanted to ask you, because the Syrian High Council says that according to your um, interpretation of what they share with you, is that they say um, the triangulation of the third strand is the most important step in service to our evolutionary process. I would love if you could go into that. What is the triangulation of the third strand? And why is that so important as a um, critical step in our evolutionary process? You do ask deep questions. <laughs> I'm a deep person, Patricia. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's start with the fact that Tesla said, if you understand 369, you understand the, the you completely understand the, the workings of the universe. Yeah, we could break that down too. Yeah, but we'll just put that out there for a minute. So whereas a lot of people that are teaching others how to work with DNA and how to activate uh, another like many people are working with the 12-stranded DNA com com uh, complex. Others are talking about 144 strands, and I'm saying to them, well, if you've got 144 strands of DNA activated, you shouldn't be on the computer. <laughs> you should be, you know, another dimension for sure. But that said... You um, are the computer. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, so people are working with DNA, and they're talking about activating a second uh, double helix and then another one and then to reach six double helix constructs to reach 12. And the council say, actually, no, the most important thing you're going to do in recreating your, the complexity of your DNA is to first weave in the third strand. It's three and then it's another three and another three until you reach the 12th construct. So, you work in another strand, a third strand, and you create a tetrahedral form, which many people will realize is, is half of the star tetrahedron, which is two interlocking tetrahedrons. So the council say that, and this is sort of beautiful wisdom, they say that woven into the double helix is the very nature of duality, because it's the nature of two is it's always trying to find balance, find uh, resolution. If you look at a seesaw, for example, or even a line as a geometric um, theorem, it, it can go up or down. It never has a form. It's um, ambiguous. Uh, do you follow me? Yeah, I do. Okay. So they say that within the construct of the double helix is the essence of duality. And that was done deliberately to us, keep us in duality. So that in other words, this outer world that we talk about being in extreme polarity, actually within us is woven a state of duality within the DNA itself. But when you add, activate a third strand into that helix, it creates triangulation. And triangulation is the first time you see a geometric solid form in geometry. Hmm. The, the, the three, the third strand creates resolution of, du of duality as a construct. So they're very adamant about that. When you, you don't aspiring to 12, let's please know that that third strand is everything. Because from there you will replicate another entire 
triangulation, another tetrahedron of the fourth, fifth, and sixth strands, which is also in my course that you were referring to. And then you've got created the star tetrahedron within every cell of your body, within every nucleus of your body. And here you're, you're now talking about reconstructing the divine architecture of your blueprint. Hmm. We live in a third dimensional reality, right? We perceive two dimensionally. And I've talked to other people like yourself um, that talk about DNA activation. You, of course, being probably one of the earliest ones that I'm aware of that started doing this work. Yeah, my, my question is, okay, we live in a third dimensional reality. We perceive two dimensionally. We are at the mercy, if you will, to the, the, the um, physicality, the, the, the physics, the physics of planet Earth. So we can activate our DNA, but we're still restricted, I guess, for lack of a better word, to the physics of planet Earth. For example, you know, if we wanted to fly, we can't fly because gravity will pull us down and we'll fall. Well, right. So for someone listening to this and going, well, that's great. Who cares? We're still in a third dimensional we're on a third dimensional plane or planet. What, how do we use this? How does this apply to my life? I'm not on, you know, Xenon in the seventh dimension where I can, you know, um, replicate myself at will, or I can walk through walls or whatever. You get my, get what I'm saying? Yes. And my answer for starters is, I don't believe that we can't do all these things. Okay. I don't believe that you can you that we are as limited as it appears we are. Right. Okay. And we are seeing, I mean, we there are ascetics, ascetics who can do these things. They can levitate. That makes no sense whatsoever. Right. They can levitate and you know, I don't know about you, but I've seen one levitating in I have too, in India. So that defies gravity. That defies the laws of physics as we think we understand them, because they we're we're learning that the laws of physics are are limited, and that as we start ascending in consciousness, we are overriding those limitations. Right. So, you know, the where do you put something like, you know, a I've had experiences where I slip out of the, the time dimension that we're in and go somewhere else and come back and have recall. I'm going to give you an example. And it's described in my book. I, um, I believe that we are not only in the third dimension now. I believe that we're starting to really feel the effects of the fourth dimension, which is like a clearing station for the higher dimensions. So, and it involves the mutation of time, which is a whole long story, but I believe that time is um, absolutely going to disappear and that that's part of the aspect of the fourth that we're starting to deal with. Many people are recognizing how they're losing time, how time is shrinking, mutating. I don't know anyone who's not noticing this, Mm -hmm. but I personally am having bizarre experiences. One of them was, as I was starting to say, I was staying at someone's uh, B&B and it was a house, main house, and then it had another guest house on the property and it had a common driveway between the two. 
So um, one of these nights, I hear a car drive up. <laughs> it makes me laugh when I think about it. I hear a door open. I hear people speaking Italian, and I can hear it so clearly that I recognize that it's a Venetian Italian because I'm a linguist and I'm I love language and I speak Italian fluently. <clears throat> I can recognize what kind of accent it is. I'm paying so much attention, I'm listening to the dialogue, the dialect, right? Mm-hmm. And these people are saying, "Okay, you get the baby out. You do this. You do that." I hear them go cluck, cluck, cluck up the stairs to this place. The door open, the door closed, the baby's crying, yada, yada, and end of story. So I thought to myself, wow, this is great, because it was sort of way out in a remote area. I thought, I'm going to have to go introduce myself to them because they're Italians. Maybe we can have a dinner together. Next morning, the owner of the place comes to my door. She knocks. She's got uh, cleaning supplies. She's got her arms full of towels and, and sheets. And she says, hey, I just thought I'd stop by and see if you're, everything's okay with you. And I said, I am. Yeah, good. And I, 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 your, your Italians arrived last night. She said, I'm sorry? I said, the Italians. I said, I'd love to meet them. I don't want to impose. But she goes, how do you know that Italians are coming here? <laughs> I said, no, no. Sorry, they came. I'm, I'm, and then I felt so guilty. I was afraid that I'd spilled the beans. These guys had come, snuck in, <laughs> gotten a free night. By being crafty, right? Right. I said, oh, oh I, um, gee, I said, I don't want to make any trouble, but they actually did come last night. She goes, Patricia, they're arriving tonight. I said, okay, whatever. She goes over to the door. She swings open the door. She goes, come here. And I go there. There's not, the, there's no bedding. There's no mattress. Everything is stripped. He went, oh, Wow. So the next night, because I thought, well, that could have been a premonition. I mean, you know, when you're talking about psychic things, there are all kinds of explanations for phenomena, right? That's right. Next night, at the exact same hour, the car pulls back in. I hear the Venetians talking. I hear the baby crying all over again. The exact same scenario. Oh, my goodness. I looked out the window, and there were physical beings walking up the stairs, going in and closing themselves in. So... This means that I had to have been projected into a future timeline that was 24 hours ahead of the time I was in. Mm. It wasn't deja vu. It wasn't, uh, no, it was this slipping of time. And I feel that, I mean, you you know, I'd love to hear your take on what happened, but I, I just feel that this experience even though we think we're in 3D and we think the car looks like it, like solid and the desk is solid. And actually there are things surrounding our experience that are not as solid and recognizable as we think. And one of these aspects is time. Right. And well, another one is gravity. Yeah. Because if the ascetics can float in the air, then then. Perhaps our concept of gravity is not right. That's true, too. I mean, there's so many directions we could go here. My, my mind's kind of exploding as you speak <laughs> because it's just it's so vast, this conversation. And um, what happened, I, I think, I, well, it makes me think of one quote I've talked about in another podcast, which is perception is edited reality. Okay. And and. Uh, it is. I mean, what you perceive as real becomes your reality. And it's based on your experience. It's based on your 
state of consciousness that's based on a lot of things, but those are probably the fundamentals. But also, and let's not forget that also that there are so many people now that are opening up psychically. That's right. And, I mean, I've been open as a child, so I have always had trouble discerning sometimes what is from another dimension or another universe and what is physically present before me. So where do you put that in 3D? Because a lot of people are starting to open up now. That's right. And you look at it and you think, oh, it's still a 3D world. I'm looking out the window, the ocean's out there. But um, I can see something float in that isn't really there, not in this dimension at least. And I, I, I believe that we are starting to see this process of, of conscious mutation to embracing the fact that our perception is changing. And as our perception changes, of course, the reality changes, but also I think that the plants, the animals, the elemental beings are also refining their energies. Hmm. Is the frequency of the planet rising or are we collectively rising the frequency, raising the frequency of the planet or both or neither? Well, according to the Syrians, the whole solar system is, is accelerating because it's, it's all ascending, the entire solar system. So you've got Saturn losing some of its rings. You've got Jupiter with this um, spot that it keeps morphing and mutating. You've got planets heating up, changing color, all kinds of things are going on. So I think that the inter interaction between the planetary bodies and the sun is a process of acceleration, and we can call that um, ascension, if you want. Mm. Uh, I don't think that the human race as a whole is doing that much good work for the planet. Uh, I don't mean to sound negative, but what I'm saying is out of the 8 billion almost people on the planet, we have a lot of destruction being caused by the human race. Yes. Do you Ever. think we can override that even with the few, even with yeah. say a 10% yeah. awake? I was gonna say, however, there is a rising percentage of, of human beings that are becoming enormously more conscious than they were. It's like leaps and bounds mm -hmm. um, to that dense perception by many, the, the television zombie mindset people that mindlessly throw bags of garbage on the street, for example, yes, uh, versus people who are absolutely aware, aware not only of the cliche, the carbon footprint, but also aware of their interaction, their dynamic interaction with the air, with the food, with the animals, et cetera. And I think that, that, in, that even though it's a small percentage, it is going to dramatically impact the negative force of the, the 90 or 85 percent and evoke enormous change. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, as a biofield tenor, my business has been the busiest it's ever been in the past year. And you could say, oh, well, it's a pandemic and people are stressed out. And that may be true. But I actually, after speaking and meeting these people, all these new people, there, there, there are more and more people that are becoming more and more curious about what's possible for their healing, what's possible as far as 
technology goes that they're not aware of, be it sound healing or anything else, frequency healing, frequency, frequency to me is the future of medicine. And you talk a lot about um, 528 in your work, the sound of creation, or at least I should say one of the fundamental sounds of creation and how even uh, there was a Canadian, there's some Canadian scientists you mentioned who play, who um, played a bunch of Sofesio sounds, 528, to oil polluted water. And in one day it went from murky brown to bright green. So my point yeah. is we know that frequency changes um, our material body. It changes our blood. It changes our cellular structure it changes it can change or alter a diseased cell into a healthy cell and you mentioned as well that i would love for you to go into um a really interesting factoid that i wasn't aware of how negative sounds because we know that even today's music some of it is intentionally destructive to break apart um ourselves or, or clump our blood together. In other words, not put our bodies in a harmonious state, not put us in tune. And one of the factoids you mentioned is in your program is that negative sounds wind up DNA and sounds that we're exposed to, which mimic nature, like um, even Gregorian chant or Sanskrit chant or um, even birds, but things like 528 they unwind the DNA. And I might quote a doctor, you mentioned Dr. Rain, who says, quote, a new and novel mechanism for the healing action of music. And this is him referring to how sound, harmonic sound, tone, frequency can literally be a whole new um, platform for healing. So I'd love, I know that was a mouthful, but I'd love for you to just explain how frequency can unwind our DNA and why that's important. Okay. <laughs> um, Sorry. <laughs> like I'm trying to find a, 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 a way to answer that without having to get it way out here with an explanation. So, you know, the expression, you're all wound up. Okay, yeah. And, you know, it does denote a certain tension, tightness, um, dis-ease, right? Right. And so the coiled DNA at that, uh, when it is wound tight by factors that are predominantly frequency um, affected, Effective, that this also is um, it's more susceptible to being broken or snapping or whatever because it, the, we have broken DNA strands within us or broken, uh, you know, you look at the double helix as a wound ladder, right? Okay. So if you, in other words, the, the unwound DNA would look like a ladder and then it's, of course, it's, it's, but it's gently turned is good and uh, it's still these rungs of a ladder, which are the different protein uh, relationships in each segment. 
if it's wound really tight, these things start to snap and crack and break, and we've got ruptured, damaged DNA. That's one of the things. And the other is that um, it creates, I would imagine it creates undue stress and heat in the, in the cells because electric is wind, wound up and uh, magnetic is relaxed, unwound, right? Right. And I'm not a scientist, so I might not be explaining that in, a, in scientific terms. But I do think it's very important for people to recognize that you affect the DNA with music, with thought. Let's get to that, too. The disruptive music that we're hearing, first of all, and I won't pick on any one category, but personally, what's coming out these days, I don't even like to call it music. <laughs> the lack of harmony, the lack of, 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 you look at classical music and you know there are such harmonics in classical music that it, it's an automatic pre-assumed knowing that you're going to be healing yourself just by listening to classic, classical music. Mm-hmm. Whereas the thumping, winding, horrible stuff that's, that's out is disruptive. And we've seen this with Emoto's work. And I bring that forward in the course. It's, um, you know, you put on some, really raucous uh, I think of a category that I can use here just really rave let's talk tech rave of music and the the uh, molecules of water that he freezes I, I should speak in the past turn he's no, no longer with us that he would freeze and then play music to them or speak to them or pray to them and they would form or not a perfect six-sided star, which again is the symbol of the star tetrahedron. Mm. Why this all works together. And then um, disruptive sound, uh, thoughts that are negative, the star starts to break apart or it doesn't form at all. Whereas love, meditation, Buddhist chants, these gorgeous stars appear in the molecules. If anybody has not seen this, they need to get a hold of Dr. Emoto's Messages from Water. Beautiful, beautiful work for us. For sure. So frequency changes. Ev- frequency is everything. And yeah. when you're sending w- into the waters of your being and into the blood, which is the waters of your being, messages of beauty and love and self-awareness and gratitude, those structures form in every molecule of your being. They form in the DNA. They re- they heal the DNA. And also, let's not forget that the body is saline to the same proportion as the ocean water. The blood is the same proportion of saline. We have crystals in our saline crystals in our body. So yeah. when you're sending in beautiful vibrational frequencies that, in my opinion, Solfeggio sounds 528 are the apex of that uh, frequency. Um, You're not only healing by vibrational resonance, but you're sending into the crystalline nature of your being the memory of perfection, perfection of, of all being, of the perfect harmonies. And because they're crystals, we know that crystals retain memory Right. Am I getting off track here? No, this is great information. 
and you um, you anchor a lot of a lot of these points that I was going to ask you anyway. So this is very helpful. And I, I might add that I did not know that bees actually buzz and make honey at 528. And you have that great image in your program where you see them making the circles or really their hexagonal shapes that are so perfect, right? And the sacred geometry is so evident. And I didn't know that they were, I mean, it makes perfect sense, but, and by the way, I have for our listeners just so they have somewhat of a reference. I have a 528 fork, so I thought I'd just take a second here and play it so they can hear the 528 tone. So here we go. In my mind, I can just hear the bees buzzing with that tone and everything else in nature that does what it does to 528. And and remember also that the bees, you said hexagonal forms, there's that six-sided star again, right? That's right. That's right. And, you know, also I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but I remember talking to someone, this was years ago, who, and they're pretty well known. I just, the the name is... is, um, escaping me right now. And he was abducted. He's, uh, he, he's written books about his experience of being abducted by the, I believe it was the Greys. And as he tried to get closer <clears throat> to the ship um, before he was kind of taken out, there was this sound that was so egregious, just so um, um, like that shrill, but not in a, anything that would be about ascension. And it made him so sick for like months and months and months. And uh, it was like the very opposite of something that we would consider to be a 528. So it's just, I'm just dropping that in the bucket because, uh, you know, we talk about how these advanced beings and, and these advanced beings, I mean, do you know, they must be millions of years um, ahead of us as far as what they're doing, what they are, what they're doing, what they know about frequency, what they know about uh, all of it. <laughs> I, I mean, I can't even think of the words, A, because I'm not a scientist and B, I can't even capitulate on the technology of what they're doing. I remember the first time I saw a uh, spaceship and not of this world. And I was in St. Bartholomew with my dad. I was laying down on a dock and my father was going to use the restroom after we went out to dinner. And I was just laying down on the dock in sort of the center of town. And I was looking up at the sky, not looking for anything. And I see this flashing light. And I said, oh, is that a star? And then it sort of started making this interesting sort of, um, the, the, the light was emanating and sort of spinning. And then it went to a second coordinate and radiated and spinned. Then it went to a third coordinate and radiated spinned and went back to its original spot. 
and it made a perfect, perfect triangle. And then it zipped off and disappeared. And I thought, okay, there is nothing in the world that I know <laughs> that does that. And yet that's sacred geometry, right? That's the law of threes. They're using some sort of frequencies. They're using some sort of technology. And um, I don't even know what my question is, but I think it goes back to just how these frequencies and these technologies can really help us to ascend, just like that guy that was abducted and they used some sort of frequency that just took him out and made him sick for months and months and months and damaged his memory. Uh, he couldn't think straight. He couldn't walk straight. And then you have things like the 528, you have the sophageal frequencies, you have all these other things that we can use at our disposal that can literally heal our bodies and transcend our being. And he would, you know, I don't know if you still have contact with him, but he needs to have some serious sophageal healing. <laughs> right. I mean, this was years ago. I can't remember the guy's name. But, you know, um, Patricia, you talk a lot about sovereignty and um, being a sovereign being. And right now, as we've kind of touched upon, um, we are definitely being, I would say, both challenged and ushered into the potential for a new level of individual sovereignty um, in service to humanity. My question is, well, what is sovereignty to you? And why is it so important for us in our spiritual growth and um, acceleration, awakening and expansion? I wish I had a sentence that would describe perfectly what sovereignty means to me, but I'll say this. Um, all of my life, I have walked to a different drummer and never accepted dogma, never believed what I've been told to believe. I've always questioned and explored and found my truth in many, many ways, but it's never what I'm told I'm supposed to believe. So I've been a rebel all of my life and proud of it. And at this moment, when uh, so many people are in a state of induced fear and panic and even rage, for me, sovereignty is to be in your highest ethics, in as much as possible, control of your own life. I don't like the word control. Aware, however, that you are the master of your destiny and that at a soul level, when you came into this lifetime, you knew exactly what you were going to do. You had a mission, soul purpose to do. And there's plenty of free will from start to finish in this tube of physical life. But you knew you had a mission here. And I think all of us star seeds are feeling that now. And you also, very important, knew when you were leaving. In other words, you chose the parents, you chose the location, you chose the entry point, and you established the departure time and point. And as a, as a person who has had near-death experiences, more than one, I am completely, absolutely sure we don't die. So being in sovereign integrity means knowing that I'm the master of my being, I will make infinitely the decisions about my being and uh, it's all preordained anyway to a certain extent and therefore I relax into uh, the knowing that at the soul level, I knew exactly what I was doing when I was coming here 
and I am living my mission. Hmm. Beautiful. Well, I'd love if you could just briefly go into one of your NDEs and how that shifted, shaped you and, and any information or you got from that experience that you could bring. Oh, absolutely. So the first one that I had, I was 17 and I wasn't a troubled teen, but I didn't have a great father. And so um, I was working out my feelings about that. And I used to go to a beach called Davenport Beach in Santa Cruz. When I got my license, I would drive over the hill from San Jose, California, go sit on this gorgeous beach. And there was a beautiful, uh, there was a promontory of rock. And then there was a, uh, you would step over the rocks and there was this beautiful little hamlet, a cave or a cove, let's say, with white sand. And then further, there'd be more rocks. And I would go climb up these rocks, write poetry, contemplate reality, and uh, come home. And one day I went up there and I, I, I just wasn't aware that the tide was coming in. I was really immersed in what I was writing. So I was already, already a writer at 16, 17. And the tide came in. And when I finally recognized that it was time for me to manage it, I climbed back down and that little hamlet or that cave that was a peaceful, sunny little stretch of sand was gone and in its place were these horrific waves. I mean, California, you, you probably know Pacific, you gotta watch out. There's nothing Pacific about the Pacific Ocean. Oh yeah, I've almost drowned with yeah. my son. It's, it's gnarly. It is. So it was smashing up there and I realized I might die because the only way I was going to get out of there, I couldn't go the other direction because the cliffs dropped off. I would have died trying to, there was no place to go that side. So the only way to get back was to manage to get back across that stretch of beach and and, and then back onto the promontory, to climb back over to that and get to the main beach. Well, P.S., I waited for the wave to go out, waves to go out. I kept watching. Of course, the longer I waited, the, the, this tide was coming in fast, right? And finally I waited, the wave went out and I made a run for it and I grabbed onto the rocks and that was it. I was pulled out. I don't, I do not remember what happened, but I, I just remember I felt a sliver of rock or something go up in my fingernail, took in water and I disappeared. <clears throat> At that moment, I experienced being in a tunnel of light. I was surrounded by dolphins, which of course is something very important for me. My whole spiritual journey has got to do with dolphins. Um, and I was, I was being propelled up this, spirit, this immense tunnel of light. The whole story that people have indicated in so many recounts, I experienced. I heard angelic music. I heard I, the love, it was something, the bliss that I felt is absolutely beyond anything that words can describe. It was just this letting go, letting God moment. And I, I could hear angelic voices. And then I heard the classic voice that said, no, you can't, not yet. Your mother would never survive this thing. The next thing I know, I'm lying on this promontory that I could never, I mean, did the ocean spit me out? I was lying on top of this promontory that I had tried so desperately to reach. And I looked up and there was a man with bright blue eyes and he was giving me mouth to mouth. Oh, wow. And I, I just, I mean, what can I say? I looked and then I closed my eyes 
And I started breathing, and then I looked again, and he was gone. So mm -hmm. I believe it was an angel. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, I realized we have so much help. And I just don't fear death because you, you come away from a near-death experience kind of preferring to keep going. Yeah. Not to come back. Yeah. I hear this a lot. Yeah. It was like, oh, you know, and the reason when he said, when whoever that, whatever that voice was said, uh, not yet, your mother would be brokenhearted. You can't leave your mother. And I have an I had an extraordinary relationship with my mother, right? It was probably the thing that anchored me back to come back, come back for her. Wow, that's uh... extraordinary. And you know, looking, I mean, imagine looking, seeing this man, these big eyes, and then poof, nobody there. Lying on this, after that, I'm lying on this promontory, still gasping for air, all scratched up and bloody. And there's nobody for miles, nobody on the beach, nobody anywhere. It was very powerful, life-changing. Well, you make a stellar point um, in that story that we really do have so much help. And, and if, that, if you did die, and of course you got the message that it wasn't your time, but if you did, it was clearly your time and you were complete and as hard as it is for the living, you know, that you were having help on the other side to ascend to wherever it is you were going to go at that time and leave this world and go onto a next, another. But we have a lot of help. We have a lot of help with what's on the planet, with the technologies that are on the planet, with the ability to um, raise our frequency, raise our voltage, um, unwind our DNA, <laughs> tap into these other uh, beings that are of dimensions beyond our even recognition and understanding. With all the information that you have and the Syrian High Council who you work with and just you as your own sovereign being, what is the message that you're getting right now? What can you um, transmit to our listeners right now that could help them and perhaps particularly those that are still swimming in the sort of rivers of fear and worry and um, instability and anxiety, uh, what can you um, offer them from the Syrian High Council or anyone like simply your innate sovereign self? My message to everyone is to turn off the television set. Mm. Unplug it completely. Find the strength to do that. Unplug the phone. I leave my phone in a box outside the door and I only use it maybe twice a day, right? See what you can do to unplug yourself from everything that is attacking your sovereign state of mind. Telling you how to think, telling you what to fear, telling you what drugs to take and just Give yourself at least two weeks to experience how it feels not to be plugged into that system. Yeah. Because when you do that, and it requires, you, you know, I mean, really, it's a, it's a monumental effort to unplug all of this equipment. The, God forbid Alexa, let's not even 
talk <laughs> about that. But as much as possible, now is a time where you are responsible for your own survival. We're talking survival here, survival of the species. And that we as individuals must take control of our own reality. That means unplugging the news, unplugging the, the comedic, sarcastic system of pseudo news and all the, the um, information that is causing people to be in those states of fear and anxiety and opinion and division and be one with yourself and nature. You've got to get into nature. Spend as much time as you can recognizing the music of the earth and the ocean. I mean, I, I live on an island that is very pure and every day I walk on the ocean in the morning, I listen to the sound of the waves. You know, I, I, uh, I pay attention. I guess what I would say to you is in very, very brief terms is pay attention to the world, the earth. Pay attention to everything that really matters and let go of the noise. So pay attention to the music and stop listening to the noise. Mm. Well said. And I might add, as you say, musical frequencies played into your being affect your vibrational state. So why would you want to play noise and fear intentionally, unconsciously, or Otherwise, why would you just expose yourself to that when you really know what you know? That that's not going to facilitate anything really positive. It's deliberately derogatory, dark, satanic information coming through music and other vehicles. And I listen to 1970s and 80s music, and it's all about love. Even even soul groups like Tower of Power, which were you know really funkifies music the lyrics are about love and and uh beautiful sentiments and we're not doesn't seem like we're allowed to feel those things anymore so guess what don't listen to the stuff that's telling you <laughs> hatred and violence and whatever get yourself you know i don't even watch television i, I haven't had television for 25 years oh. i have a collection of dvds of movies that are beautiful or funny and lovely and I just watch them and we watch them and we watch them. But I refuse to have any of that interference in my peace of mind coming from television. And I believe that it's one of the reasons why I am basically a very stable, very happy individual, despite the chaos going around me in the outer world. Hmm. You're a walking testament to what happens when we actually get that stuff out of our life and and it takes, you know, it's like, it's like getting rid of any other drug. Right. When I first unplugged the television, I said, that's it. I'm not spending 40 bucks a month for cable to be fed vampire, satanic, horrible stuff, violence nonstop. So I got rid of it. And it wasn't good enough for me to just not have the cable. I just got rid of the television. And for the first couple of weeks, it was a very strange thing. That noise always there. And I started reading more and writing more. And, you know, I, I don't have television. So my life is filled with other entertainment. For example, sitting on the grass and watching the birds and the butterflies. And it's amazing. It's amazing how nature is just waiting for us to listen. Pay attention. Yeah. yeah. 
I and it's all, like you said, the bees are the frequency of the bees, the, the fact that the flowers open at a certain time to attract the bees, they exude a certain perfume at a certain moment in, uh, in this divine dance that is the perfection of nature and that we've lost so much contact with. Mm-hmm. As I'm talking to you, I'm just noticing that my podcast mic it's grill where you speak in the microphone. It's just a, a spitting image of the um, hexagonal holes that the bees carve out in the wax. Yeah, and because it is the most efficient geometric pattern in, in the universe. Uh, it's just... The most efficient use of space. It, it, and it just begs the question, how much is just really right in front of our face? I mean, it's literally been staring at me in the face and I go, oh my God, I just noticed that now. What is this, my 25th episode? I mean, it's just- no, see, that's what I mean, isn't it? Just paying attention to what paying matters. Attention. The other day I was, I was trying to capture a, a picture of a bumblebee on my tree because the amazing body of the bumblebee in the back has this absolute geometric pattern on it that defies logic and it's just like all of these gorgeous patterns the divine blueprint of life mm-hmm. just keep replicating everywhere around us and we're sitting here glued to all these nonsense devices that keep feeding us negative information it's time to get back out there uh you know the other day i was sitting here at my desk and a butterfly flew into a spider's nest and it was struggling for its life. And I was in the middle of an interview and I interrupted the interview. I said, I'm so sorry, I have to go. I've got to go save a butterfly. And I ran outside and I, I had that in one moment in my mind was like, do you have the right to, to interfere with this divine, this interaction? Because the spider had the right to eat, right? <laughs> and I decided, yes, I did because uh, I couldn't bear to see the pain of the butterfly. But I, I have to say, I'm, I'm really tuned into nature and. I'm in the, a very blessed place to be able to have that privilege. Oh. And when that butterfly flew away, it was a joy. The, the joy in me, it's so simple to feel joy when you pay attention to what really matters. And it starts with getting rid of the garbage that's being fed into you 24 yeah. seven, taking away your sovereignty your yeah. peace of mind. Hmm. And that's deliberate. It is deliberate. It is deliberate. What would yeah. happen? And I'd like to add one thing here. I know we're getting close to the hour. Um, there are frequencies coming out of the television that are creating a hypnotic state deliberately. So you can see this. It's a flicker. You can see it sometimes if you've got the television on a camera or something like that. You see the, a flicker in the screen that's not perceptible while you're watching the, the program. Mm-hmm. And so you're hypnotically being, you're being induced into a hypnotic, semi-hypnotic state and then programmed with the program. I will have none of that. Right. No, thank you. Yeah, pass. I, I try as much as I can to get my son to get off television, which he has and just get him. I get him in camp now, but thank God summer's good for that. But you know, 
it's the fortnight, the fortnight that these kids are playing, they're just obsessed. And you talk about programming. I mean, my son is in a hypnotic state when he's playing Fortnite and, you know, we give him an hour, but even five minutes is too long. I, I'm, I'm going to let him live, you know, his, everybody's doing it, but still you just see how it alters the brain and the brain waves and his just attention. Because it's operating it, it on, a, it sends in a frequency to create that hypnotic state. It's got to do with the flicker of the screen. Mm. And it is deliberate. I mean, if you really get some some engineers talking honestly, they'll tell you it is coded into the system to create that kind of flicker that creates a semi-hypnotic state. And then the program starts coming in. And it's usually violent. And they're killing everything and for sure. getting points for it. And um, that's the code. That's the message to 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 build violence into human right. beings is the program. Normalize, normalize, normalize. And not to yeah. mention, you talk about frequency. It's like, okay, you've got that flicker and then you're standing in front of a sound bar. And I had a electromagnetic uh, specialist guy come over and rewire our whole home. And the amount of frequency that was being emitted, disruptive frequency um, out of the sound bar was the worst thing in the entire home. And it was at, wait for it, like, I forget, it's not gigabytes, it's, um, and it's not even hertz frequencies, but I can't remember what the measurement is, but it's, like, was a hundred thousand. <laughs> yeah, and they say it should be less than 200. Holy moly. So, imagine watching TV, families watching TV, and you've got the sound bar going, and maybe it's one, one brand opposed to another or compared to another. I don't know. I doubt it. But at least our sound bar um, was emitting this frequency that was beyond damaging. So wow. we, I just, I either unplug it or we, uh, we actually, you have to ground it. Well, it's really important to unplug uh, personally. I know that it's annoying to go around your house and unplug everything, but, you know, it really doesn't take that much time and it's your, health, your health. health. So, you know, I've got everything unplugged that I'm not using. And another technique that I'd like to share with everybody, because I used to uh, go around and do psychic uh, investigation of, because I could pick up those frequencies. So I would uh, help people heal their house from electromagnetic pollution back in the day. And one of the techniques I use is to make a very loose loop in the wire, like a knot, only not a tight knot, okay? In whatever wire of whatever device you have. So, and when you plug it into the wall, that loop is close to the wall. So it, a lot of the pollution gets sort of stuck there. Ah. So all the wires in the, in the house have that loop. Let's say a, knot, a loose knot close to the wall that helps, but there's nothing like just unplugging all your devices when you're not using it. Yeah, it's a little bit annoying, but um, it's really smart to do that. Mm, that's great advice. The toaster, the, bl the blender, that, you know, before we even get to the computer and the technology and the TV sets, and oh my God, some people have four TV sets in the house and it is still emitting when it's off, mm -hmm. just like the computers are. That's right. Finally, I, how yeah. about the uh, microwave? Oh, well, I got I have, I never had one in my house. No. And they're in every brand new house. And of course, they're in 
pretty much every, um, every home that you would rent or, or every apartment. I mean, when we bought our place, it was like standard. And I just ripped it out. I said, forget it. My mother was flabbergasted when I, <laughs> when I went to visit her for the first time in her new house back in the day. And I didn't know how to use the microwave. She said, honey, are you joking? I said, I have no clue what you're talking about. Show me how I, uh, what you do. And then I explained to her that what you were doing was rearranging the molecular nature of the food. Right. And as bad as that is, you're also people don't think about you're rearranging the molecular structure of the chemicals in the food. Ah, delicious. It is not good. To not do that. Good. So I've never had one, never will. Yeah, I second that. And when you talk about what can people do to to be in a sovereign mind, it's to to think about these things, how everything is affecting you without fear of like, oh my God, I'm going to get sick. It's just like, what can I do to streamline my my world so that as little as possible interference with my sovereign health and mind and spirit? And there's a lot you can do. There's a lot you can do. And don't wait till, God forbid, you get sick or you're at DEFCOM 5 and right. you have to then go on a journey and, and find answers in your desperation. Don't wait for that. And in the divine blueprint that I have on my website, you've got all this attunement, all the work is with uh, Fibonacci, sorry, with the solfeggio frequencies that you can listen to over and over again and uh, just keep sending into your being. Wonderful. We'll have all your information on the show notes if anyone's interested in checking you out, checking out your myriad of publications. What do you have? Almost a dozen books you've written, I believe. Is that correct? Yeah. I think I'm up to 14 published books now. Oh, incredible. Um, so you are just incredible, Patricia. Uh, you give me good reason to come get on a plane and visit you in the Azores. <laughs> come on. We'll swim with the dolphins in the water. Uh, part two, our experience with the whales and the dolphins in the Azores, as we uh, capture the frequency of their sound. I mean, come on. So... I have brought Tibetan bowls and tuning forks on the boats because I every year until this year, of course, I've brought groups here to swim with the dolphins and oh. I play music with them. And they just the captain of the boat goes, I don't know what you're doing, but I've never seen this many cetaceans ever. Oh, that is <laughs> awesome. That is awesome. Playing a 528 solfeggio fork for the dolphins and having them pour in around the boats. It's it's a pretty wonderful one. I'm bringing thing. all my forks, all of them, yeah, packing them it. up. That's a whole other feat going through the, uh, the, you know, the security at the airport. But <laughs> yeah. they're like, what is this? Never mind. I will celebrate the day that you appear. Hallelujah. Well, thank you so much for instilling us with your wisdom and your inspiration. You. And honestly, to encourage us all to step up and plug into the keys of the universe, because that's really what you're doing. So Thank you, a million thank yous. And guys, check out her stuff. Check out her website. Check out her program. Check out her books. There is so much to check out with Patricia Corey, the, the accelerator for oh, us wow. <laughs> What a beautiful thing to say. Yeah. God bless you. Thank you. Same to you. Hey, guys. Thanks for checking out the Spiritual Geek Out podcast. If you like what you're hearing here, check out more by subscribing on your favorite platform or go to spiritualgeekout.com.
www.thisisthefeminine.com.